Well, welcome, everybody. Glad to have you here today. You know, I've done some stupid things in my life. <laughs> uh, some of them revolved around motorcycles. My motorcycle heroes, they dressed in denim, so I did too. They wore cowboy boots, so I did too. They wore deerskin gloves and American flag-colored helmets, so I did too. They could do wheelies, so I did too. Well, <laughs> kind of, except this one time. When there were two girls, they were walking toward me in downtown Chittenango, New York, and I did something so stupid, I just still shake my head over it. I'm going to tell you about it in just a minute and how this leads me to talk about one of the most important things that this world needs and how it can transform your character, too. Hi, I'm Doug Newton, pastor for 45 years, national award-winning magazine editor and author of 24 books, and this is At the Intersection with Doug Newton, where scripture, culture, and character meet. I'm here to help you pursue the kind of character needed to align with Scripture faithfully and to engage culture graciously. Now, each week I make one observation about our culture. I give one insight from the Bible that speaks to that issue. And then I suggest one way to strengthen the character that you and I need to relate to our mixed-up world with exemplary, uh, exemplary grace and fresh impact. Now, this is a no-gripe zone. Our question's not what's wrong with our culture, it's about what's the right way to respond. So there I was. I was parked on Main Street in Chittenango, New York, just outside the drugstore. And I had no reason to be stopped there except for the fact, as I said, that there were two high school girls off in the distance, about 75 yards away, coming down the sidewalk toward me. That gave me plenty of time to take off my helmet take off my gloves and just sit there on the motorcycle, denim-clad, so cool, on my 250cc Yamaha Enduro. Now, why would I do that? Why would I just sit there with my gloves and helmet off? <laughs> Obviously, so that I could put the gloves back on when they were about 25 yards away, slowly, dramatically, so cool. But of course, not my helmet yet at that point. Not yet, obviously. I mean, how could they see who I was if they were still 25 yards away? So all I did was um, just started the motorcycle and revved it up just to get their attention. The girls are coming closer. My 250cc Enduro was perfect for doing wheelies, as I would soon do by pulling away from the curb. Well, the girls were coming closer. I revved the motorcycle more. They're 15 feet away. They're looking straight at me. It's a perfect moment. I threw on my helmet. And just then, <laughs> I realized I had put my helmet on backwards. <laughs> so much for looking, you know, the part of the cool motorcycle rider. The ones I admired. I mean, I had the gloves. I had the boots. I had the denim jacket. But I lacked one thing, a, a smooth move. <laughs> I had hoped to impress these two girls coming down the street. But, you know, that didn't work out, of course. But it leads me to some reflections on this idea of admiration. Is that not what most people want? And, and rightly so, to be the kind of people who others admire. I mean, not as in the ego trip I was on then in high school, but 
you know, and that crashed and burnt terribly. But most people genuinely want other people to think of them as good people, as kind people, valuable people, helpful people, someone they can look up to. So obviously the question is, how do you become an admirable person? And really, that's what these podcasts have been about for weeks and will continue to be about. But first, I'm going to talk about that in a minute, but first, we need to understand something about our culture that works against this desire to, uh, to be admired. And here it is. We live in a hyper-stimulated culture. Everywhere we go, we are bombarded by sensory stimulation. And, and this works against the development of, of admiration. And I'll show you why in a little bit, because it's a vicious cycle. But but why why is all this sensory stimulation going on? Well, because all of media, print media, visual media, billboards, everything, is in stiff competition to grab our attention. This competition, then, as I said, has created a vicious cycle, driven largely by marketing and consumerism to try to get you to buy things. Right. So think of it this way. Imagine two street musicians, Peter and Paul, and they take up positions on opposite sides of a street corner, hoping to attract a crowd as they play music to earn some money. They both start playing at the same time. But Peter looks across the street at Paul, and he sees that more people are moving in Paul's direction, listening to him. So Peter starts playing louder. Well, Paul hears what Peter's trying to do, so he strums harder, and he sings louder to overcome Peter's attempt to steal his audience. And so it went on day one. Then next day, Peter, he brings an amplifier and a microphone, (laughs) and he wins the day. Not to be outdone, Paul buys a more powerful speaker and raises the volume even more. Well, eventually now. They both have the best sound systems that money can buy for street musicians. And so one of them has to try to do something else. Peter decides to wear an orange outfit to attract attention as he's playing. (laughs) Well, that worked, of course, but just briefly because Paul then thought and bought himself a red suit and outlined it with LED lights down the arms that sparkle so that you could see him as he played Well, Peter then decided he needed some help, so he had some flyers printed up, and he hired a person to walk up and down the sidewalk, handing them out a few minutes just before he began playing to try to get the people to his side of the street. Paul knew that he could do something better than that, and he hired an ad agency who came up with a giveaway plan and also installed one of those those inflatable dummies, you know, the ones that are like, and they squirm as the wind pulses through them. Don't you like my imitation there? The next day, Paul noticed a bus going through the intersection with a great big picture of Peter and his web address announcing a free downloadable sample of his music. (laughs) Paul now getting more and more frustrated. He hires a plane to fly overhead, pulling a banner, announcing his new album. (laughs) All right, I could keep going, but, but you get the point. Peter and Paul represent this fierce competition 
for capturing people's attention that has been occurring over the last 50 to 60 years. Marketing agencies are paying millions and millions for research, and companies are then paying these agencies billions, that's with a B, to launch campaigns that will beat the opposition. And it's all about getting eyeballs, as they say, getting eyeballs. Their research even shows them how to design print material or to produce videos to actually not just get their your attention, but to control what portion of the page or the screen your eye actually lands on, and they can control what you notice on the screen. But now, here's the spinoff of this marketing frenzy. And this is part of the first downward spiral that I'm talking about in this vicious cycle. When we are surrounded by such powerful schemes to grab attention, we lose the ability to give attention. You see, paying attention is an act of the will. It's as if there is an attention muscle in each of us that has to be exercised. But when it's not exercised... When we go through our days, you know, flitting back and forth from one sensory attraction to another, the uh, the attention muscle shrinks for lack of use. (laughs) You know, when I first started to preach 45 years ago, the common assumption then was that people can't pay attention to a sermon for more than 15 to 20 minutes, the, the experts said. But, you know, over the decades, I've just been listening to that number going down (laughs) decade after decade. It went from 15 to 20 minutes down to 10 to 15 minutes. Then it went down to, you know, in the the 2000s, it was, you know, it's down to 8 to 10 minutes. Then it was in the down to 5 to 7 minutes. And, and, And now it's down to, you know, well, I don't know what, but what I do know is Facebook, now known as Meta and YouTube and Instagram and TikTok, They all agree that if you don't hook somebody in the first two to three seconds as they're scrolling down the screen, you have lost them. You've got got two to three seconds. But that's not all. This, This downward spiral goes even lower as a result of this attention grabbing frenzy. You see, There comes a point when people get numb to the lights, the sounds, the sparkly doodads. And in order to have our attention grabbed, something more powerful is needed. We actually need things that are bizarre. Something that makes us go gaga. Like 20 years ago, in fact, Lady Gaga <laughs> pioneered this realm of the bizarre in order to attract attention. And then, as we wound up needing even more than just bizarre things, we needed shock, we needed awe, and we found that that attracts. And that's why when Will Smith charged the stage and slapped host Chris Rock at the 2022 Oscars, Did you know what happened? Have you heard? Word spread after that slap spread instantly, and 550,000 new viewers instantly tuned into the Oscars within minutes. 
because the word had spread. Wow, you should have seen Will Smith smack Chris Rock. And, and then the video that captured that moment actually set a YouTube record of 50 million views in one day. People are so numb to normal attention-grabbing schemes, they've been conditioned to need something so stupid and silly and shocking that it'll get millions of likes, or else we're just going to scroll right past it. We live in a culture where we like, where we like (laughs) the wrong things, the shallow things, the empty things. Because the good things, the right things, the admirable things require paying attention, giving our attention. And and this has got to change. I mean, it's long been understood, at least in former generations, that paid attention to boring things like history or great ideas or moral values and virtues, that perhaps the greatest influence on character development is the power of admiration. Simply put, when it comes to developing good character, you become what you admire. If you admire excellence, you tend to become a person of excellence. You admire honesty, you tend to become an honest person. You admire kindness, you tend to become a kind person. Did you know that less than a hundred years ago, children were actually taught to read using the multiple grade-level volumes of the McGuffey's readers. These were books that were full of poems and stories and biographies, songs, even Bible passages, all of which highlighted values and virtues around character traits. A kid couldn't make it to high school, not just without being able to read, but they couldn't make it to high school without having his or her admiration muscles trained by what they were reading, strengthened and highly tuned to show respect, to be trustworthy, to finish their work, to stand up to bullies, to help the less fortunate, to face hardships without complaint. They were not only shown how to admire, but who to admire. Who deserves your attention? Who should you look up to? Who should you want to be like? Well, the McGuffey readers faded out of the picture when public education shifted its focus away from character education towards socialization goals. But then people like uh, William J. Bennett, Bill Bennett, former Secretary of Education under Ronald Reagan, he warned about the unintended consequences of this shift in education, and he attempted to counteract this trend by reviving this admiration principle, and he actually compiled what became a best-selling anthology called The Book of Virtues. It should be up here someplace. There it is. A Book of, of Virtues. Uh, it's called The Treasury of Great Moral Stories. Um, this is... This is actually the size of the book. Look at look, look at this guy. <laughs> I don't know how many pages there are. Like 800, 850 pages are in this book. And by the way, I'm going to tell you at the end how you can actually receive as a prize this book, a, a new one, not my, not my copy. Uh, and I'll tell you how that can happen at the end of this podcast. But I think that... Uh, Bill Bennett was doing God's work. 
whether he knew it or not, because his project harmonizes perfectly with a basic biblical principle found in numerous places in Scripture, but my favorite comes from Philippians 8 and 9. You probably know this one. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You see, this is the principle of admiration. We train our minds on these kinds of things, and we tend to move morally virtuously in those directions ourselves. And then, however, Paul goes on to say something sounds a little shocking. He says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, in me, in me, he says, practice these things. In effect, Paul is saying, admire these qualities around you and imitate me as I try to embody these qualities. Now, Paul was not on an ego trip like I was on my motorcycle fiasco. He just understood these principles, that since admiration transforms people, it behooves us, there's an old-fashioned word, (laughs) to pursue admirable character that can have that transformative impact. It is true. The world around us is hyper-stimulated. But I believe your corner of the world and my corner of the world can still be impressed. Maybe even shocked. (laughs) Talk about shock and awe. When they encounter people who are unquestionably truthful and sincere, genuinely kind and gracious, full of integrity and goodwill. They're going to be impressed, shocked to find people who are both self-effacing and self-giving, diligent, persevering, respectful, and courageous. Yes, I mean, even though the average uh, person's attention, people like you and me, our, our attention span may have shrunk to new lows, Human beings, now listen, are still wired to admire. We are wired to admire. We can still be captivated by the shining light of moral virtue even more than the sparkling lights of celebrity. We just need a moment to see it right in front of our eyes. People around us, they just need a moment to see right in front of their eyes a person of impressive character. And every week, (laughs) I'm here to tell you, you can be that kind of person. But you have to become that kind of person, don't you? And that does start with turning your eyes toward anything and everything, toward anyone and everyone that's admirable. And that's what admiration can do for you. It's time for us to admire this incredible, dynamic, transformative power of admiration. Well, that's all for this episode. See, I'm going to take you deeper into admiration next week. This is another one of those two-parters where, okay, now that we need to admire it again, how about 
How about we learn how to increase that power of admiration? So once again, I've prepared a crosswalk guide for you to get you started. It's going to help you begin to identify what and who you already admire to some degree and why you do. Then it's going to help you notice what might be missing that needs your admiration, what's been getting your attention that doesn't deserve your attention. See, that's how becoming uh, an admirable person, admirable person can happen in your life. Now, I hope you're going to download this helpful tool. Anyways, get the crosswalk. Hey, if you appreciate what I'm trying to do in this podcast, again, would you share it with friends and uh, subscribe to my Fresh Impact YouTube channel? That will help so much. If you would just go subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, That's how the influence of this podcast actually gets beyond the first level of interest you know, people who know me, people who have followed things going on in my life and the writings that I've done over the years, that's in this first circle. And then outside that circle are our neighbors and friends of those folks. That would be people that you know. And if you could subscribe, if you could share it, we'll get out beyond that. I've heard some really interesting things just recently about a group of guys in their 20s who have who have come across this podcast and they've decided that they and they're in different parts of the country they want to watch the podcast and and then get the guide the the crosswalk and then talk about it together so then they get on a Zoom call together and they talk about this i mean that's amazing that's wonderful that a guy 69 years old might have something to say that a 20 something is going to be interested in that just encouraged me so much and by the way, within 24 hours, there's going to be a permanent version of this on YouTube, not just this live replay, and also the audio-only version for those who want to listen on the go. And we've had hundreds of people listening to the audio podcast already. All of that information about the podcast past and future can be found on our website. The links can be found at the end of this video. Thanks again so much for tuning in. Oh, that's the motorcycle. I wasn't supposed to push that button. Here's the music. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. I'd love to hear from you. You can even send me some thoughts about what you might like me to address. I'm already looking forward to next week for part two on this topic of admiration, admiration titled Squirrels and Admiration. I hope you'll join me next week at the intersection with Doug Newton. Remember, let's admire the power of admiration.